Hello, everybody. This is the Tenacity Strength Fit for Duty podcast. I am your host, Larry Brown, and I am joined by a Mr. Nick Shaw. I really don't know how to put the camera on you, Nick, so you may have to take the reins on this because I have no idea. But I'm also joined by Vaughn, my co-host. Vaughn, how you holding up? Pretty good. How are you guys doing? We're all right. Not too bad. Nick, how you doing? Doing, doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. So for people who don't know or don't really follow uh, bodybuilding or any type of fitness or CrossFit training, Nick is a co-owner, am I right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yep. Yeah, co-owner of a company that has really caught fire the last couple of years, Renaissance Periodization. Um, I'm not sure, Vaughn, have you, you've heard of Renaissance or at least I have. Or something? Yeah. So they're catching really big fire. And what I've noticed is that um, a lot of people clamor after uh, Dr. Mike Israetel, and for very good reason. He's a big time brainiac. Um, but no one has really talked to Nick. So Nick, I want to get to know you and I want to get to, uh, I want to get to know how Renaissance came to be, what's your background, your brief stint in bodybuilding. So, you know, talk to us about that. Yeah, man. So I'm sort of a, uh, a meathead at heart and I always have been going back to, when I was like 13 years old. You know, I had an older brother who got me into lifting. We had one of those really crappy little skinny weight benches with like a, you know, a bar that probably weighed like five or 10 pounds and the sand weights. We had that in my parents' basement, and that's how I started, and I loved it. And do you guys know who David Boston is, uh, NFL receiver? No. I've heard the name. Uh, he played at Ohio State. He's like a just physical specimen, you know, like 6'5", 220, 4340, just everything ridiculous. And uh, they, they did a feature on him in ESPN, the magazine. And I was probably like a junior in high school, and I saw those pictures, and I was just like, I don't know what that is. I don't know if I'll ever look close to that, but I'm like, I want to, I want to look something like that. And so that really got me going on training and I already liked to work out. And I sort of stumbled upon this crazy idea that the harder I worked, the better I got at stuff. And, uh, you know, it turns out that's a pretty good thing to have when it comes to lifting. And I just got hooked and I would just, we had a pretty decent weight room in my high school and I was just always in there, man. Just, I loved it. I loved the idea of getting better. And you can always get better in lifting, really, no matter what it is. More sets, more reps, more weight on the bar, whatever it is. And so I've always been drawn to it. And I went to college at the University of Michigan. And my sophomore year, <clears throat> I was in the weight room. Saw this shorter guy squatting 405, just like perfect form, ass to grass. And I'm just like, what? You don't see that in a college weight room. Totally unheard of. And it ended up being uh, Dr. Mike Israel at the time. You know, he wasn't Dr. Mike now. And so there's one of those things, and I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about here, but um, you, you see someone else in the gym that, like, knows what they're doing and kind of, like, give them a little nod of respect, like, okay, yeah, all right, cool. And so we both did that when we were lifting, kind of like this mutual thing. And, you know, I got talking, of course, and, and I just kind of hit. And he was like, hey, you know, you, you look like you're fairly strong. And he convinced me to get started in, like, powerlifting. So that's how I got started in competitive lifting. And um, he was sort of my mentor for many years. He convinced me to go out to New York City uh, after college. And I was a personal trainer out there. So I lived in the city for six years. 
something like that. Yeah. Um, all over. I think I moved like six or seven times in those six years. So that's pretty wild. And I actually used to train at uh, 19th Street Gym. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Victor Martinez trained there. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, Victor Munoz, right? Was that? Um, that's um, Victor Munoz from up from um, he's from um, uptown. Yeah. Yep. So that's where we train, man. That's a great spot to train. I would go back there even if I didn't live around that area. Um, I think for us, we would get off the subway at Union Square and just walk over. So it's like whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's a great gym, and uh, that's. <clears throat> Kind of where we, you know, saw a bunch of really cool lifters and we're like, hey, this is really awesome. So I, I probably trained there three or four years and I ended up training at uh, New York Sports Club, I think on the Upper East Side eventually. And for New York Sports Club, they had really good equipment. They had dumbbells up to 150. Sure. Yeah, right? Like, unheard of. And there's some pretty serious guys there too. Yeah, no, it's total. Actually, I mean, if it's, um, it was a uh, New York Sports Club on 90. Second in Third Avenue. Wow. Just, I mean, totally random, but I lived in an apartment not too far away. And so we used to go train there, and that was a great spot, too. But yeah, anyways, so that's a long story short. You know, I met Dr. Mike, and he sort of got me into lifting, and he was my mentor. And, you know, a couple of years later, we were, you know, both training in the city, and he's like, hey, you know, I think we should kind of do something mutually beneficial here because he was going on to get his PhD and was no longer in the city. And he kind of was an early pioneer this is probably like 2010 of online training and he couldn't keep up and i was training people in person and i was like hey why don't we kind of float clients back and forth and in a nutshell that's how we got started okay well long you want to ask a question take it away a little bit yeah you know what i'm i'm always interested in the very early days of what we commonly know now is the kind of online training movement etc because that was kind of the wild west. Now, when he was training people online, you don't have all of these platforms which enabled the ease of communication to the extent that you do now. So when you guys first started, what did you already have a specific program you guys use or was it all just spreadsheets? Was everything through email? How did you guys just kind of kind of evolve that? Yeah, man, you nailed it. Um, it was spreadsheets sending to people uh, for diet and training. And yeah, everything was by email. And so it was pretty early on. And this was when Facebook was still, everyone was on Facebook. And again, it was sort of the early days, really before Instagram. I forget when Instagram officially came out. But uh, yes. I think right around 2000. Oh, God. It had to have been at least 2009, 2010. Yeah. Yeah, right around then. Yeah. So it was still, I mean, really new. And then I don't think we even joined Instagram until 2012, maybe 2013, but we were just using Facebook. And I mean, back in those days, you, you share a picture and like every single one of your friends sees it. So, you know, <clears throat> if we were training I don't know, a client or we'd share their pictures or whatever, you know, other people would see that and then they'd be like, Hey, tell me about this. And so that's how we grew early on. It was just all referrals and word of mouth work great. Uh, Facebook's a little bit different now, of course, but, uh, and then of course we, we, I don't want to say we luckily, but someone was like, Hey, you should get on Instagram. It's like, you know, very picturesque and you know, people probably like the seeing fitness pictures. And I was, I was kind of skeptical at first. This is, this is how funny that is. 
And I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe. I don't want to do like two social media things. And I got to do Facebook and whatever. Anyways, long story short, so we did, of course. And so it's all really taken off from there. And, you know, just kind of grows from there organically early on, of course, for the first couple of years. But, yeah, it was great, man. Um, what, what do you guys do in terms of a workout, a, a workout slash diet template? Do you find yourself starting off usually with the same general envelope or umbrella of programs and then cater it later on to, cause you can only do so much in the beginning diet wise or, or training wise until you see how the person responds. So you got, do you guys kind of have a, a variety of like beginning phases from which you branch off into diff, different aspects, depending on how the client is progressing? Yeah, totally. I mean, you nailed it. So there's kind of like a base template and that's kind of your beginning guide. You know, hopefully the client will give you enough information in their questionnaire. You can tweak things a little bit accordingly. Uh, funny story. I actually remember, I don't even remember when this was, it was probably five, six years ago, but a, a client got mad at us because one of our coaches wrote him a program and the client was like, this isn't like perfectly suited to every single one of my needs. And I tried to explain to the guy, I was like, mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, so this is like our, our base. This is where we start from. We've modified it based on your questionnaire to the best of our abilities, but we still have to start at some place, get a little bit of feedback from you. Right. And then adjust from there because we're not perfect mind readers. We don't know exactly, but we have, we have a really good idea of where we should start, but we're still going to need to tweak it a little bit here and there. So totally, you know it, man. Yeah, because I've, I've definitely, I don't know if Larry has as well, but I've definitely run into that issue. And that's kind of a good way of, of explaining it, telling the client that you kind of can't read their mind. The only thing you can do is work kind of off of their feedback. And I, I, I joke with clients, you know, like, you know, I tell my guys, I'd be like, bro, we're in a relationship now. <laughs> like, totally. Yeah. We need to communicate, you know, like, let me, you have to let me know everything in terms of feedback. The less you let me know, the less I know how to kind of yeah. interact with you. So in the beginning, when clients kind of see, hey, this plan is kind of similar to so-and-so, I'm like, yeah, but we can pivot in multiple different directions based upon progress and the way you kind of give me feedback and the way your body progresses. You know, we can, we can, sometimes we have to take three steps back or sometimes we start and you start progressing so fast that we got to jump five steps ahead. So, you know, I just wanted to kind of point that and I'm glad um, that someone is established in doing this as long as you guys kind of always see the same thing. And it's, it's a repeated process. Cause I just started my own coaching business about a year ago. I've been, I've been writing diets since I, I looked at my email outboxes and I've seen, I see diets there from 2007, 2008, 2009. I've been sending people yeah. like yeah, I'm not charging awesome. people for this all this time, you know? Yeah, totally. So real quick, funny story of writing a diet. I don't do a ton of coaching anymore. Um, we've got coaches much smarter than myself that, that can do all that. But, um, you know, this, this person, very, very good high-level athlete. And she was like, yeah, you know, I normally train for like three or four hours a day, which is pretty standard in like the CrossFit world, especially if you want to be really good. And so I was like, oh, okay, great. And she sort of laid out like kind of what she was doing before. And I was like, okay, great. Like I want to model a little bit off of that. So it's not like too big of a transition or anything. And then uh, she emails me like two days in. She's like, wow, this is so much food. I was kind of basing it off of what she had already done. And then she's like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you that I'm only training about half as much as I was compared to like a couple months ago. And I'm like, okay, 
all right, well, now that makes sense. You know, because every, everyone's training is probably a little wonky right now because, uh, you know, COVID. Oh, and absolutely. Oh, forget it. Yeah. So I was just like, yeah, that's exactly what you said, man. Like, so if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to pay a coach, you're going to hire a coach. Right. You literally need to tell them that feedback because that is that give and take that lets them modify it accordingly. Right. Otherwise, yes, a coach is going to have a really good guess, but still, like you said, it takes some back and forth, some feedback. And then that's how you get on that sort of relationship, like you said, because you really need that. Absolutely. How about you, Larry? You, go, you ever get that where you kind of have to ask your guy or whatever, hey, what's going on? You, like, you got to give me more feedback so we know what direction to go. See, I think that's more of a, a nutrition thing rather than a, a program writing thing, especially when it comes on, when, especially when it comes to me. So, you know, me and Vaughn, me and you, we've talked about putting programs in blocks. You have your set of exercises that you need to progress on for four weeks. And then at the end of that four weeks, we understand, we'll see what happens as far as rotating something in, taking something out, or keeping everything the same. Um, I, I don't have to badger a lot of my people. Uh, they, they communicate to me, hey, I'm doing good. And if they send me numbers that I'm pleased with, it's like, okay, well, we'll keep this in and we'll see if we can push it a little bit more. Eek this, it's kind of like the Dante school of thought when it comes to, um, when it comes to lifting. Um, work exercise so you can't anymore and then rotate it out. So I don't have that problem uh, where I've had to start uh, people off at a baseline. Like I started off relatively low volume, but it'll increase as the weeks go on. So I feel that's more of a, a nutrition thing more than anything. Um, I haven't run into that in training where, you know, I have to have a ton of feedback. If they say they're good, okay, we'll keep going. I have a quick, quick question for you guys. You ever like send someone a training program and then they send some feedback back to you and you know that like somewhere something's got lost in translation because you're like, you're thinking in your head, like, okay, they should probably get maybe like eight to 12 reps here. And then report back that they either get like two reps or they get like 25 reps. And you're like, what? What's going on here? And that happened a few times. It's kind of funny. Turns out they usually use like maybe half the weight or something that you wrote. And you're just like, oh, okay. Well, at least you told me early on. So we can, we can catch that. What about you, Larry? Yeah. Yeah. They, clients will do that. And um, I think what helps is that you have to hammer in that if you hear an 11th month old in the background, that's my son. So I got babysitting <laughs> duties tonight. Um, you have to hammer into them like communication is key. But also at the same time, we have based this program off of stuff that you've reported back to me. So if you do something off that program or if you do something that's not on that program, that's on you, but at least tell me a little bit early. I haven't, totally. like I said, I haven't encountered that very much. Um, not, but I'm also not as experienced as you guys. So I'm still looking out for minute details in my own programming. But no, I haven't, I haven't encountered that um, too much. One thing that I have wanted to ask is the, the difficulty of coaching an established athlete. Um, I know, Nick, you coach some or your company has several 
high-level CrossFitters. We're talking uh, champions in regionals or whatever, or very high places. Are they receptive to information that you give them based on the feedback that you give them, that they give you? Or is there like pushback on a lot of the things? Do you, basically what I'm asking, do you go to more of a customer service role if an athlete is saying, no, I kind of don't like that? Man, that's a really good question. So here's what, um, so again, like I, I started in like powerlifting and bodybuilding and sort of had this assumption that everyone was really serious about their nutrition, especially at the highest levels. Because if you want to be a high level bodybuilder, you cannot slack off on your nutrition. It's just, it doesn't exist, right? And I just maybe had this assumption that that's how it was in CrossFit. Like all the top athletes would really have their nutrition dialed in. Okay. And so this is quite a few years ago when maybe paleo is still all the rage and sort of the CrossFit circles or whatever. And so I like wrote these sort of really detailed plans. And here's the crazy thing about CrossFit. Normally they train multiple times a day versus, you know, most bodybuilders, it's like one time a day, right? That's pretty typical. I mean, you know, unless you don't have a real job and can train for a living, then all right, maybe you train a little more often. And so I was like trying to get really fancy and really advanced with like, you know, multiple workout shakes a day because they're training a couple times a day. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be the best thing in the world. And then it turns out these athletes get it. And, you know, a couple of days later, they'll just be like, yeah, I can't really follow this. Do you have something easier? And I'm just like, <laughs> what? Oh, and what was really interesting is the guys tended to be the worst at it. Like, they just, they wouldn't really follow a very structured program. Can I, can I interrupt real fast? Because you just hit Guys are completely weak when it comes to any type of structured diet and structured training. And I say that as a male. Women that get a plan, they kill it. I don't know why. I have no, I have absolutely no idea why, but they absolutely kill it when it comes to structured training, structured nutrition. If you tell them to rest, they'll do rest. So hell, sometimes they'll do even more rest than what they, what you tell them to do, but they will go above and beyond. Men will find every, and I'm, I'm speaking from a male perspective. They will find every excuse to avoid the pain, not go to failure, not eat the fucking foods that's on the plan that they will, they will, they will completely deviate from it. But that's my rant. You're absolutely correct. So please, uh, <laughs> no, no, you, you nailed it, man. Uh, I don't have much to add to that because it seems to fit what uh, what I encountered, and the females tend to be really good about it. Um, maybe a, a hypothesis might be that uh, just like social media pressure, the kind of way they have to look, they maybe need to look better or feel that they need to look better, I should say. Uh, maybe just that's, that would be my guess. But yeah, you nailed it, man. And that was a really shocker to me. And the, the, the cool thing is, is so again, you know, we started working with CrossFit people like way back in 2014. And so now I think some of these top people, you know, in the last couple of years, they've been competing for a while. They're, they're maybe getting for that sport, getting a little bit on the older side, maybe getting a little bit more mature, understanding that nutrition is more important. So I've seen them uh, come around a little bit to it. But yeah, you know, the younger guys just don't really care because that's yeah, the thing. If you're training so long, three, four hours a day, 
you can just kind of get by with eating what you want when you're yeah. young and probably pretty gifted. I mean, most of these guys are like D1 athletes and stuff like that. So, you know, you put all those together and they just don't really care too much about nutrition. You know, here's, here's another question. I, then I'm going to let Vaughn take it over for, for a little bit. Um, speaking of D1 athletes, we often think when we see these guys on the field that they have a proper grasp on nutrition. And when we see them, they're college athletes, like two plus two equals uh, five in their world. They can't tell you a carb from a pro- protein gram from a fat gram. But when they, but when they come to you, do you find it's difficult to get them back on track or to explain how food is such a, a, an integral part in recovery and muscle growth and just general everyday wellness? Like, is that something that you have to re-ingrain into them? Uh, sometimes. It, you know, it varies a little bit. Uh, I think some of it's just sort of maturity levels and kind of goes back to as they get a little bit older and they sort of realize that, hey, you know, maybe some of the nutrition and training and recovery stuff that they were doing five, six years ago maybe isn't producing quite the same results. And so they know they need to step it up a little bit. Uh, that's actually in a nutshell, how we got to work with Rich Froning is he was pretty notorious early on for like, seeing whatever he wanted all the time. And I mean, he literally trains full time for a living and, and he just kind of realized that he got hurt one year. Uh, he didn't win the CrossFit games and it was kind of like a wake up call. Like, Hey, I need to do something to dial it in a little bit more. And, and he did. And so that's how that one started. So yeah, it just kind of depends. But, um, I've sort of seen that as people get a little bit older, mature a little bit, they, they tend to take it a little bit more seriously. So in the world of bodybuilding and most competitive sports nowadays, we're, we're seeing that everything has been completely shut down, postponed, delayed. It's crazy. What are you doing with your athletes to keep them kind of on task? Is there something that you're telling them, hey, listen, this may be a break. Are you relaxing? restrictions in terms of dieting, in terms of training frequency? What are you doing just to kind of keep people engaged but not burn people out if there's no goal line in sight? Yeah, so I'll tell you a really interesting one was uh, we had some people that were getting ready to go to the Olympics in Tokyo. And so that's obviously postponed for like a year. And so these people were really ramping up and training was just really starting to get like super, super serious because you know, we're what, four months out from the what would have been 2020 Olympics. And so now, yeah, everything's just like pushed back a year. So it's just kind of like maintenance mode right now for people, you know, probably not, you know, you're not peaking anymore for anything and you don't, you know, sort of, I feel really bad for some of these athletes because you spend an entire quad, an entire four years aiming for this one particular sort of competition. And if that gets pushed back, I mean, that really throws off a, like, literally four to five year plan, which is pretty crazy to think about. And so, yeah, it's just kind of like, all right, well, you got to switch, you got to pivot and you got to go to maintenance mode. Uh, Probably not worrying too much about your body weight, just sort of hold steady. And I think most, most high level athletes probably have some type of of home training, you know, facility or something that they can do. So it's like, all right, well, you just kind of do what you can to get by and like, I mean, I saw some funny stuff on Instagram of uh, triathletes that were like laying on some type of board and like had these bands hooked up to their arms and they were like trying to mimic swimming and stuff because you know, 
no pools are open. So it's just, I think it's just how creative you can get and hopefully not be so stressed out about it that you end up making it uh, 10 times worse by, you know, like panicking and thinking that you are going to sort of lose the Olympics in you know, a couple of weeks or something of less than ideal training. Something like that. Right. I think uh, one thing that I've always admired about uh, Renaissance is that uh, the educational material that you guys put out is uh, pretty much second to none. Um, Thank you, man. You know, a lot of, it started off with the Renaissance diet. So, which I, I have part one, I have 1.0. I have not read it yet. I'm going to read it. I promise I'm going to read it. Um, but how did it come out that not only did you guys want to train athletes, but you want to put out good quality, affordable content um, in the form of ebooks and hardcover. Yeah, so this goes back to 2014. Uh, do you guys know what Juggernaut Training Systems is? Yes. I have a nice. Okay, um, so they used to work a lot with like, really high-level powerlifters, uh, weightlifters. I mean, they still do work with a lot of these people, strongman, sort of anything strength sports related. And this was 2014, and they were just blowing up like none other. Just huge, all the top athletes wrote for their site, you know, did stuff. And Chad Wesley Smith, you know, really cool dude. He's like 6'5". Uh, he's literally one of the top 10 strongest people of all time in powerlifting. Uh, I want to say is uh, – yeah, he could squat like 900 pounds. You know, like no, no squat suit, like raw belt, wraps, whatever. And anyways – this gigantic person. And so I reached out to him in 2014. And I was like, Hey, you had this one article that went up and we don't agree with it whatsoever. Like, can we write a little rebuttal to it? And the, the article, I forget the exact title, but it was basically like, yeah, dieting might be hard, but it's okay not to diet super hard. Like it's okay. And we were working with a lot of athletes, like serious athletes at the time. And so, you know, Mike, Dr. Mike, my colleague, I was like, Hey man, you need to write a rebuttal to this. And he did. And it was like, if you want serious results, you need to be serious about your, your, your nutrition. And like, you know, all the top level people like agreed with it. They're like, yeah, of course, you know, especially like strength athletes and bodybuilders are like, duh. And so uh, people liked it. And so he's like, Hey, can you guys keep doing some stuff for us? And we did, and he was selling a bunch of other eBooks on his site and we didn't have anything like that. And so Mike and I were like, Hey, we should probably like try to do our own eBook. And so, you know, Mike wrote it called it the Renaissance diet. So kind of this, I don't, know, I don't know. Is that even a cool name? I'm not even sure. Renaissance diet. Like you think like medieval 1400. <laughs> it's, something. It's, a, it's a catchy name. Definitely. You're right. Yeah. It's better than like Renaissance periodization because no one knows about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it came out in October of 2014 and it went over really well. And so that was just kind of this sort of wake up call for us where, you know, we were doing one-on-one -on -one coaching at the time and then we did this digital product that could, like, and we didn't even sell it on our own site back in the day. So uh, just got that, sorry. Yeah, I got a pop-up too. I got, I got the pop-up too, so. A gift from Zoom. Our 40 minutes has been removed. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's weird. I, I mean, I don't know. We, we do podcasts on Zoom too, but I've never gotten it. I don't think I have a paid account. But. You're just better than us right now. 
I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, so I, you asked about a limit. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Um, sorry. Uh, so long story short, we sort of realized that, hey, we can have this digital product that you know people buy, and it's sort of like this passive uh, revenue stream. So we're like, wow, that's probably pretty neat. And you're like, I wonder how we can do that with with like the, the coaching in general and so i was like we should try to do that and mike's a really smart guy and he's like all right well i'll try to create some some diet templates and so he did and then those came out early 2015 and they weren't a huge hit right away but what happened was you know a good number of people bought them or maybe like a couple hundred nothing too crazy and then about three months later when people started posting the results with them on you know social media again this is way back in 2015, so over five years ago, that's when they started to really take off because people were like, wow, what is this? Like, this is crazy. Like, instead of paying someone for coaching, you would sort of get this like, you know, product. And that's kind of, for us, it just sort of was like this revelation, like, all right, well, we probably need to do more of this. And so we did, and it's slowly morphed from like ugly Excel files into slightly prettier PDF files into now we have an app and, so that's kind of now where things are heading and trending. And so it's been, it's been really cool to, to see this evolution and for a transformation, but that's how it really all started. Nothing super crazy. Do you find, go ahead, Vaughn. I'm sorry. As far, as far as your athletes and um, perhaps your coaches are concerned, um, have you ever seen over time uh, kind of coaches going their own way, kind of peeling off, peeling off business, maybe developing their own styles, and has any of that led into any sort of competition with you, with you guys, whether it's been something major competition or maybe you guys parted ways on terms that weren't the best. Do you guys have any story st stemming from that sort of thing? Uh, so here's something really interesting. I want to say, so we, I think we have 25 coaches now. So here's the thing. So most of our coaches have uh, other jobs too. Mm -hmm. So like a handful of professors or, you know, they do some research or, you know, whatever like maybe they, they do some like in-person coaching you know stuff like that a couple of them i think own, own a gym and so that's kind of like the main thing and then rp is this like this great side piece of work that really fits in nicely and you know it's a decent source of revenue online coaching you kind of set your own hours you get to work from home you get to do all this good stuff and so it fits in pretty nicely and so we haven't really had a ton of um, turmoil I think we've had two coaches leave in the, you know, like five or six years that we've been, been That's doing a pretty it. solid system then. You guys have really – you then you guys obviously make it worthwhile for the coaches. You have a name and umbrella under which they're comfortable coaching underneath. And then you guys just – like I said, you guys must treat your coaches really well. That's only two people leaving in all that time. That's amazing. Yeah, and, and one guy sort of left because he was taking a, a higher-up job at the university where he taught, and then – about a year later, he's like, hey, I probably have some more time. Is it okay if I come back? And he, he since got even more promoted up at the university where he teaches, so he doesn't really do a lot of coaching. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of this uh, autonomy thing, right, where we give the coaches tons of autonomy, and um, the sort of the percent that we keep is very, very, you know, reasonable. And we just tell the coaches, just do a really good job, and you don't have a ton of oversight from us. But, you know, they're all like really smart, intrinsically motivated people. So when you have folks like that, you don't need to do a lot of micromanaging. You don't have to, like, right. you know, watch every program they write. Like, of course, 
when they start, we sort of like, hey, you know, here's some good guidelines. They'll do a couple practice ones and whatnot, and we'll kind of review them. Like, hey, here's some things you should probably tweak. But yeah, it's nothing too crazy. Um, you know, one it's actually only happened once. I think what you were saying, um, and it was, you know, the guy was sort of like, hey, you know, I'm gonna. He sort of made some promises to us that uh, he didn't end up keeping, and they're just like, hey, you know, we can't can't keep doing this. And so yeah, it's only once, I guess. So I guess a bit of luck there, I'm sure. But hopefully, hopefully that means we're doing something right. Yeah, it definitely does. Now, we're going through rather difficult times with uh, COVID and whatnot. Are you finding it relatively difficult to keep your athletes motivated? And have you encountered any snags in your own business uh, that you think will help you eventually in the future? Uh, Yeah, so I think... You know, a lot of well, all gyms are closed basically, as far as I know. I mean, maybe not all states are, but um, that's been really interesting. So, a lot of people, what happened is a lot of people are now training at home. And ironically, we had an at home training program. We released it like a year ago. That's not really like our, it wasn't like our main niche is, you know, people that are going to train at home with kind of lighter weights. Now, mostly we, people get to the gym, you know, they want to lift fairly heavy and they're serious about results and all that. So it wasn't like this, this huge thing. And then all of a sudden this black swan out of nowhere hits and like all gyms are closed. And so we were like, wow, like, and people are demanding it because then like literally overnight, I mean, I'm sure you guys saw this too. Yeah. Yeah. Literally overnight. Everyone's like, I got to train at home. What the hell do I do? And so we're like, I mean, we have this. And so, I mean, what we did, so just, I mean, I don't think, because again, there's a lot of people out there trying to kind of, you know, I don't want to know, I don't, I don't know if take advantage is the right word. Maybe some people were, of course. But so we had this program and we were like, well, people probably want this. And so what we did is we actually marked it down 60% off. Because we're like, my thought was, I don't want to be seen as someone that's going to like take advantage of people during this crazy time. Tons of people are losing their job, all sorts of crazy shit's going on. Last thing we want to do is be seen as like these vultures that are trying to come in and do this. So we're like, let's just make it a big discount. Probably some people will buy it. Well, like now all of a sudden, I mean, it's like our number one seller the last month or so, and it's you know, crazy. Um, so that's been really interesting. You know, I'm sure in another month or so, like it's probably going to go back to you know not doing all that well. Um, we can only hope, to be honest, not to not to wish bad business on you guys, but if um, that goes back to being where it was baseline, that's good news for the entire country. For sure, man. I actually I, I hope that product goes back to not doing quite as well. So, because that'll that'll mean many good things for everyone, uh, including myself. So, uh, I'm kind of ready to get out of my own house a little bit too. So. Uh, by the way, that actually reminds me. So how is it in New York City? Because I mean, I lived there for six years, so I kind of have an idea. And I'm just like, the whole quarantine thing. I'm like, I don't know what people will do in New York City. So I don't know what's the earliest you've been out in New York City when the streets have kind of been empty before it started humming. Imagine that uh, by about 50%, again, less people, less activity. And that's how it is constantly now, at least at least from what I see in, 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 on television in Manhattan and from what my friends who work as um, cops in Manhattan tell me and show me. I am on the boroughs, I'm in Staten Island. That's where, that's where oh, I work. Okay. I live on Staten Island and 
ironically, I went out today um, to go to the supermarket. Way too many people out. People are behaving as if things are starting to head back to normal. It's probably a consequence of a little bit of good news in terms of the way this thing is trending or flattening. And then right. the governor puts that information out there. I think people kind of relax their attitudes and their vigilance a little bit, which yeah. has me nervous because, I mean, this thing could flare up again. But before that, the amount that this city has slowed down and come to an absolute grind and halt is really airy. Uh, yeah. I, I am legend. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that. It's, it's, it's been crazy, man. I mean, that's wild. Yeah. That is totally wild, man. I mean, I remember like as a personal trainer in a city, sometimes I'd have to be at work at 6 a.m. So I'd be up at five or whatever out and about. And of course, you know, there's not that many people on the street, but even the subways, the subways then at like five in the morning are pretty busy. Yeah. Not rush hour, of course, but. None of that now, you know, very, very little of it. So anyways, I hope that that goes back to normal. Um, I haven't, I guess I sort of heard through the grapevines a little bit that I think um, uh, maybe fitness in, in general was seeing a hit from some other people. Uh, I would just be curious to see like from if other companies only do one-on-one coaching, if uh, they're taking a little bit of a hit because it's just being a more expensive product and people are a little, less certain of the economy and everything. Um, so I think, you know, the sort of uh, VIP premium coaching might see a little bit of a hit. And that would be my, my hunch and guess of if I you know, got some data from some other people, that would be my guess. So what do you guys think about that? You think that makes sense? Or? One-on-one personal training. Um, my wife is a personal trainer in New York um, Health and Racket Club downtown. Right. And obviously since the gym, gyms are closed, you know, her clientele, dried up overnight so a lot of personal trainers that i see here who weren't doing private clients um a lot of them had their business immediately dry up and the ones doing one-on-one clients private clients um they have very little places available to them to train people yeah you know and people have honestly lost the the the, the appetite to be in a group training session setting and even some of my nutrition clients, because of the, I, I tend to focus a lot on first responders, people in, in that. Oh, that's great. Because I can, I can associate with the shift work, um, the stresses of the jobs, the challenges with eating. So a lot of my lifestyle clients are first responders and a lot of them have kind of put the brakes on things because they don't know what's going to be happening with them on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So being able to maintain any sort of consistency now we're talking about lifestyle, so we're not talking about someone dieting for a show, someone dieting for a competition. We're talking about someone just trying to adjust the way they eat so they could achieve a certain level of fitness or look the way they want. And now, since what do you what do you have to look good for? Where are you going? <laughs> you know, it's so it's yeah. I, some of my clients have um, kind of said, "Hey, listen, we'll, I'll get back to you as soon as we we figure this thing out." And I tell guys, "Listen, man, take your time, figure it out." I've even offered guys, "Hey, listen, if you need." two or three months because you really can't pay or whatever will work something out. But, you know, it's, it's, I think everybody pretty much is going to see some sort of hit on, on some level. How about you, Larry, with uh, some of your clients? Have kind of, guys kind of tapped out because gyms are closed or what's going on? Uh, I have one that is uh, pretty, pretty dedicated to the cause. Um, he is definitely um, staying on track with his – 
with his workouts and all we're really doing is some body weight stuff because we can't really do anything right so i i haven't had anybody reach out to me um as far as trying to um like not extend a plan or anything like that um in fact i got a couple of new york city first responders um that i just said you know what the, the next program I'll just make on the house for the simple fact that everyone's going to be taking a hit. Everyone. Um, I work in the insurance industry and if groups start canceling their insurance, then I'm vulnerable. You know what I mean? So uh, every, everyone's getting hit, but no one's reached out to me um, and needed any type of extension or anything like that. Um, one thing that I think will explode uh, again, and me and Nick talked offline about this, is the rise of uh, app-based training, um, especially as smartphones become increasingly uh, cheaper. Uh, I think the home gym market is about to explode because people are finding out what you could do with a barbell, a squat rack, a bench, and some loadable dumbbells. Um, I'm thinking people more want the convenience. Uh, I don't know if you guys seen the article, a bunch of goals gyms across the country have now closed. Like they've shut their doors for good. Oh, so, yeah, so everyone's taking a hit, but I think the rise of equipment will uh, explode even more because people will, they will try to find ways now, how can I keep my fitness level up while not having to commute? Because as Americans, I'm, I'm along the lines of Gary Vee. We don't give a shit about uh, anything else outside of convenience. And if a home gym provides the convenience that a lot of people are looking for, I think we'll see that in app-based training explode even more. Um, Nick, I know you said you guys have a diet app. So have you seen an increase in the downloads uh, with the diet app uh, with this whole COVID-19 situation? So I, I think as long as we stay pretty stable, that and we can sort of weather these couple months uh that's kind of our sort of main focus and that uh you know hopefully because of you know like it just being a subscription thing and it's you know not super expensive it's only 15 dollars a month that it's it's probably not going to be something that people immediately sort of go oh you know what i need to save a few bucks or whatever i'm gonna you know cancel my diet subscription like that's hopefully it's not going to be the case i think for the more expensive stuff it totally makes sense for that and yeah man in terms of the at-home stuff, you couldn't find dumbbells anywhere. Like that bands, bands now. Yes. So I'm 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 kind of a I'm kind of bougie when it comes to to things like equipment and electronics and things of that nature. I went on Rogue's website because I wanted the loadable dumbbell handles. You know, it's Rogue and their yeah. loadable dumbbell handles. Uh, they're like mini Texas power bars, right? The, the most expensive one is $175 and the other is like $130 something dollars. Can't find one. I can't, can't find, I was, and the Titan Fitness ones, they sell as a pair for $70. I ordered that, that's on back order. You can't yeah. find jack shit right now. Dix yeah. is out, Shields is out. Nothing from Play It Again Sports. And I had a friend in Arizona that someone was selling weights out there. 
and they're charging three dollars and fifty cent a fucking pound. It's normally like a dollar a pound, or something. Like it's that, normally right? like a dollar, dollar seventy five a pound. Yeah. Like she's selling loose squares on the on on the uh, subway platform. She's selling loose cigarettes, damn near probably. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, I tell you what, man, if you are in um, sort of uh, anything to do with food delivery or like gym equipment. Absolutely. You, oh, yeah. You're, you're doing well right now. So more power to you, I guess, because it is very much in demand. Um, I was going to ask, are, so some of the personal trainers, including your wife, are they trying to switch to doing more things online for the time or kind of what's going on? Because honestly, I was there. I used to train people in the city all the time. And if this would have happened in 2013 or 2014, I would have been screwed. I'm just, I'm kind of just curious what's going on there. Cause I mean, I used to work in a gym on 57th and Lex. That's where I would train some of my personal training clients. And I think there's, probably 20, 30 different independent trainers that use that facility. That's all it was. You just paid and brought your people there. And I'm just thinking, like, what are all these people doing? And I mean, I know some of them did very, very well, but now nobody's doing it. I'm just curious as to what those people are doing. Her, her, her clients, um, when, when uh, their gym closed, she wasn't kind of allowed to kind of communicate with them. Because of um, mm. they were all they all belonged to the gym and right. So, but we also had our separate, our completely separate nutrition clients, you know. And she she worked with um, some other trainers who uh, they were they were there for a very long time and they had a tremendous clientele, um, including one of them that she kind of hooked me up with. He is a, a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, so I used to get oh, awesome. one time with him. I just started about three, four months ago. And so she, she hooked it up where this guy, once a week, he gave me like an hour one-on-one -on -one time with him. And he had other clients that he trained before and after our sessions together. And all of them to, to a person right now, isn't that, is, they're all completely out of, they're all completely shut down. All of them overnight, completely. Overcome. Man, that's really unfortunate. I just. It's very sad. I, I, it's incredibly sad. Um, Man, so uh, I started training jujitsu about six months ago. I haven't trained in, in like a month. I haven't been able to go because the gym's closed. Yeah, down here. That was one of the first things um, that they closed down, you know? Yeah. Um, they're doing online Zoom classes, and I actually talked to the owner today, and he said that they, they're still doing pretty well, but they, they're supposed to have a new facility that was literally ready to open, I think, April 1st. And I mean, now it's just sitting there. I mean, could you picture that? I mean, you have all this money tied into construction and getting this place built. And he's like, yeah, we're, we're trying to like, you know, contact the SBA disaster loan because. Yeah, good luck with that. We're just, well, that's a whole nother topic, right? But uh, yeah, man, it's, it's really unfortunate, man. Especially, and, and here's the thing with gym owners too. I mean, a lot of these guys, you know, take a jujitsu gym owner. I mean, this is their life. Like all they know is jujitsu and you know, fitness or whatever it is. And I mean, man, you just, you just feel really bad. And I mean, I hope that, you know, things are getting back to normal here in May or at least somewhat normal. Right. I think I'm not like super up on all the news and stuff, but 
isn't it like some states will start opening up and, and gyms are like on the phase one thing so people can kind of get back to it? Yeah, so it's broken down into phases. Um, some states will be opening up by May 1st, I want to say. Um, a couple weeks. And yeah, so gyms are on one of those phases. I don't remember if it's phase one or phase two, but gyms can open as long as they can maintain the social distance, social distancing uh, protocols, which will present a challenge to some gyms, but the one, the ones here in Omaha in particular that I'm a part of, uh, particularly Iron Heaven Gym, uh, we, we, won't, we won't have a problem with those social distancing guidelines. Now, a couple of others, uh, we got some problems, but gyms are going to start slowly opening back up. So if you're a jiu-jitsu gym or a martial art gym, <laughs> how do you do social distancing? Exactly. <laughs> you can't, right? Like, contact sport. You, you know? try to do jiu-jitsu, you're like six feet away, like, <laughs> right. Oh, man. Like karate where you can just do kata. <laughs> like, right. This is, yeah, like, to me, it's like you need a bot. You need a body. You need arms. You need legs to contact for jiu-jitsu. So, yeah. You know, a lot of, um, even my, um, I, I, I train at uh, uh, Capizzi Jiu-Jitsu on Staten Island. Um, he's, a, he's a student of uh, Renzo, Henzo Gracie. And um, what they do is he's been incorporating more online stuff, drills yeah. that you can do. Yeah. So he, yeah. he's kind of made the switch. I, I just hope he finds a way to, to monetize it quickly and to make it work because all of us here in New York, we're left with no other options. I mean, I literally saw some of my fellow uh, students, one guy, he works on like a, 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 a pilot boat or like a tugboat out here. And he's, he's given to rolling on the deck with some of the deck hands. It's like a picture of this boat out in the middle of the water. <laughs> they're, they're rolling around on the deck together, you know? So it's kind of going underground Kumite style, like, like Dana White with the private island. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you'll like this story. So I bought one of those uh, jujitsu dummies and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, this will be cool. Maybe use this. It's just, it doesn't do the trick, man. Like, like, a macho sex doll, it's like a macho sex doll, bro. Yeah. <laughs> That's why, they, no you know, I'm carrying it around the house. My wife just looks over. She's just like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, don't ask questions. I'm going upstairs. Leave me alone. So, and, and I got an eight and six-year-old, and you know, I've kind of, like, been making them do jiu-jitsu every day. And uh, they actually really like it now because they were going to the gym. Oh, it's wrestling around. Are you kidding me? Kids love oh, it. totally, man. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they like it now. Actually, they really like it now. And, you know, I'm, like, trying to do some moves on them. And, you know, <laughs> six- and eight-year-old, like, you put a foot in their hip and they just fold over. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> okay. All right. I can't do this. <laughs> one, one thing I wanted to ask about um, was back to some of the educational items that you guys are putting out. As you've noticed from my my lack of input, jujitsu is definitely not my thing. I downloaded it. It wasn't until it was, you know. Yeah. Um, one of the books that you have is uh, something that's very unique. Is a book on recovery. Uh, tell us a bit about that and how we can help every community, not just uh, the CrossFit, but also like the powerlifting and bodybuilding community. Yeah, sure. Right. So if you are into lifting, well, you kind of have to be into recovery because if you don't recover pretty well, you're not going to be doing as much lifting. Um, so I guess the quick overview of that book is sort of the main 
principle that you uh, want to control is how much training volume you do. So you, a person can only do so much training volume before they just start to hit diminishing returns or get injured. And it's sort of finding that balance is sort of priority number one. Uh, after that, you have really important things like getting enough sleep, which if you're a cop or a first responder, I mean, good luck with that, I guess. You can only do so much. But, you know, it's, of course, important, but you can only do so much. And then, you know, your nutrition is up there as well. That's really important. Excuse me. And then after that, you can get into things like uh, uh, massages or um, maybe some, like, ice baths. And, like, if you compare, like, how much importance those things have, and it's, like, really small versus, you know, how much volume you do or, like, your nutrition, like, those are the main principles. So it's like in, if you want to diet to lose weight, right? You, you got to control your calories. That's sort of the most important. So the analogy there would be controlling your training volume is the most important part of recovery. Because if you're just, you know, doing crazy stuff seven days a week for weeks and months on end, I mean, you can only push so hard so long before your body's like, eh, actually, we're going to, we're going to need a break here. And you get hurt or something and you have to kind of, you voluntarily take time off maybe through like a deload or some easier training sessions, or you're going to be forced to take time off at one point because you get hurt or something. And I think we've probably all been there before with various injuries. And so that's kind of the main thing there in the recovery book is just be smart about how much and how long and how hard you train, of course. And then, you know, do your best to control your stress and sleep levels. And if you do that, well, you're, you're probably on the right track and, Making jokes about um, controlling your stress level is pretty much a joke right now because everyone's really stressed out because shit's just crazy. So, man, you know, if, if you're a high-level athlete, what are you doing right now? Well, hopefully just focusing on the things that you can control and don't stress out there about the stuff that you, know, you don't really have much say over. Where do you see renaissance uh, periodization in five years? Five years, well, hopefully uh, our diet app is, you know, uh, maybe on like the same level as, you know, some of the really popular ones, like, uh, well, I don't know, there's a bunch of them, uh, Lose It, My Fitness Pal, uh, some other various carb ones. Um, that would be really cool. And I think our app does some really cool things and we're always making it better. So we have some uh, in-house software development guys that do all that and they're really good at what they do. And Dr. Mike is really smart too. And we sort of have this whole list of things that we want to do to improve the app. And, you know, every month or two, we just keep rolling some things out. That's just kind of the goal. I mean, it's just like, um, it's just like bodybuilding. You just slowly over time, keep getting better and better. And you take where you were on day one of lifting compared to five years after or 10 years after, and well, you're probably going to look completely different. So uh, hopefully that's the, the, the goal that in five years we look back at the version of the app that we have right now and we're like, wow, that was a joke because it's so much better. Awesome. Maul, you got anything? No, 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 no. Man, that was pretty good. Answer, pretty good question and a damn good answer. Well, oh, thank you, man. That's, uh, yeah. Well, I have to tell you, Nick Shaw, this is something that, uh, I was excited to do. Very happy to finally be able to, uh, talk with you and finally able to sit you down. I know you're busy. I know you got the kids, but uh, we're going to let you go. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, of course, man. We're going to have some links at the bottom of the video where people can visit Renaissance and 
visit your IG and, uh, you know, hopefully you can come back on in about a couple of months or so and uh, we'll have some more questions for you. Cool, man. Thank you so much for having me on. really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. You too. All right. So for my co-host, Vaughn team and our guest, Nick Shaw, who's downing a water bottle right now. I am Larry Brown, and we will see you on the next Fit for Duty podcast.